Hello, everyone, and welcome to Teach Ag Talks, the podcast bringing you the news and voices of Pennsylvania agricultural education. June is National Dairy Month, and for this episode, we wanted to bring perspective into the dairy industry in Pennsylvania. Many are familiar with struggles across the industry in recent years, and according to the Center for Dairy Excellence, 120 dairy farms were lost in 2016. Since then, dairy farmers continue to struggle to survive in a confusing market. However, there is some hope for the market as overall milk production has increased as well as regional market demand for milk. Having been raised on a dairy farm, this episode is near and dear to my heart, especially because of our interview. I was able to sit down with Robert Gable, my dad, and discuss the current status of the dairy industry and what he thinks will happen in the future. At times, I really felt like this was an evening dinner conversation, and I hope you all can find value or perspective in this conversation. Hello, everyone, and this episode is something that's really special and near and dear to my heart because I get to interview all these different people with different perspectives in the agricultural industry. But with this being National Dairy Month, I figured who better to bring on to the podcast than my very own dad, who's spent a couple of years or so working in the dairy industry, had a couple of kids that have went through stuff. And we're doing this interview on Barnview Farm with some cats roaming around and some birds chirping in the background. So, uh, how are you feeling today, Dad? I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me on, Thomas. Absolutely, absolutely. So, I very much know uh, a lot of details about your life, but our our viewership may not. You want to give some backstory into who Robert Gable is? Uh, I was a dairy farmer here uh, about, um, about four miles west of Newport in Perry County. Uh, we were the fourth, I was the fourth, fifth generation on our farm. Uh, Thomas and his brother and sister would be the sixth. Uh, we farmed about 350 acres and milked about 32 cows. Um, we farmed up until 2017. So, uh. That's some backstory. It's a dairy farmer with some experience that brings some light into perspective of the American dairy farmer right now. Um, what I didn't say is I, I graduated from Penn State with a degree in dairy production and up there I was lucky enough to meet uh, the most beautiful girl I've ever seen, Miss Jennifer Weimer, who later became <laughs> Jennifer Gable and uh, we've been happily married ever since. So mom, when you're listening to this, uh, dad just Gave you a public shout out. He's sucking up right now, but that's okay. That's what we do. <laughs> I've I've learned from the best. I've de- developed my skills with that as well. Growing up, I would help out with chores, and you can attest to the fact that I sometimes wussed out of them <laughs> and uh, didn't necessarily want to do all the hard work and labor. But could you give us some insight into what your I, I know the life of a dairy farmer is never quite an average day, but what an average day looked like when we were a milking operation? Uh, well, usually got up around 5 o'clock, 
and um, if it was the summertime, the cows were out in pasture, had to get them in the barn, and uh, if it was the wintertime, they're already in the barn, and then give them their morning feeding and milk them, and then we used to do the same thing about uh, four o'clock in the evening, and then uh, every day was a little different. In the spring and summer, you're always planting or uh, making hay, something like that. In the fall, you're harvesting. In the wintertime, then you're trying to uh, fix up what was broken over the summer. So uh, then you had cows that got sick and had calves and all kind of stuff. Milk truck getting snuck in the snow, all kind of stuff that just you weren't planning on that just got in the middle of your day. <laughs> a lot of a lot of different roadblocks. Uh, been a lot of times where we had a plan for <laughs> exactly what project we were going to work on for the day, only for the machinery to break. And yes, it it happens. Yes, in the FFA Creed, it states joys and discomforts of agricultural life which a life as a dairy farmer certainly is agricultural life what were some of your biggest joys of farming and you mentioned some discomforts but maybe touch on that a little bit more as well um well it's uh something about uh growing up next to nature um it's even though there might be some birds in the background it is uh, extremely quiet out here um peaceful uh, I always got enjoyment when there was a new calf came along and you got to get it, uh, teach it how to drink milk from a bottle and, oh, that kind of stuff. Uh, there's a lot of long hours and, um, they'll say back-breaking work. Um, I actually had a back injury for several years, so, uh, I can attest to that. <laughs> um, we're not going to touch too much on why we're not a milking operation anymore dad dad's been a little under the weather it was just a good time to get out we're lucky that, that we got out when we did because milk prices kind of hit rock bottom a little bit after we sold the milking herd yes i said we got out when it was very bad in the dairy industry and that was before it got horrible yeah <laughs> yep absolutely which is a segue into a big reason why we're having this conversation here on National Dairy Month is it's been a really, really rough time for dairy farmers, not only in like across the nation, but more specifically Pennsylvania and Perry County. Like I, you've been around a significant amount of time longer than I have. Just that's, that's how this whole father and son thing works. Yep. <laughs> but like what have what have you seen with the changing landscape in the dairy industry over the past like 10 20 years like specifically focusing in on perry county well specifically in the last well it's been decreasing in the last 20 years but in the last 10 years the um eastern part of the county which um i assume this is mainly pennsylvania listeners to this or yeah pennsylvania agricultural okay. educators are our okay. primary audience base uh, the eastern part of perry county would be route 322 goes north through south through it and this area has been hit really hard um there's very few uh milking operations even left in this part of the county um the western end seems to be doing much better 
Uh, I think there was more to start with. I was just coming home this evening and I said to my wife, it's it's just kind of sad there that you go by all these here old dairy operations and may have a few cows, heifers or beef cows out in the pasture, but not like it used to be. From your observations, what have these local farms been doing when they transition out of a dairy operation? Well, I think a lot of them, uh, it's probably a generational thing. A lot of them, it it just became time that mm, this generation got out of farming and the next generation wasn't taken over. I think that's a, a lot of it. There's uh, some sicknesses that come in there and some financial difficulties. Not a fun time to be making money in the dairy business. Not really a time when you're making much money at all in the dairy business. No. But stemming back, uh, I think I needed to rephrase the question there. Okay. Uh, the These farms that have transitioned out. Yes. Whether it be a generational thing or a revenue-based or income-based, have you noticed any particular trends in Perry County? Like, are they transitioning into beef operations or... I feel like a time people were trying to transition it into poultry operations. Maybe not in Perry County, but in Pennsylvania. Have you noticed any of that? Do you, mm. do you have any insight for that? Uh, I'm just running through the, my head. Um, yeah, some beef, some some dairy beef. I'm I'm thinking of three of them that just generally rent out their land for for. Um, a bigger farmer will farm it for them. Yeah, I, I as far as new new buildings or or switching into another uh, enterprise, I I haven't really noticed that around here. What do you think has been some of like the the primary driving forces behind the market just shifting downwardly and farms having to get out of the dairy industry? I know that this is a very, very complex issue, but I'm just curious to hear your perspective. Well, I think there's a bunch of different things that that cause it. One thing, uh, you're getting a lot larger farms. There's a few of them around here, but mainly out, like in western the United States and uh, different places where the climate is more uh, friendly to the cattle. Sustainable for yeah. dairy operations. Yeah. And when you have that, you can, um, your margins are a little easier to deal with. Meaning if you're only making 25 cents on a hundredweight of milk, you can spread that over several thousand cows. That's different than if you're milking 32 cows. So I think that's one thing. Uh, another thing is uh, every time you turn around, the government has a different uh, regulation for you to to do um and a lot of those aren't cheap uh nutrient management plans and they have manure management plans which you could probably do that yourself um but different things like that are, are pretty costly and when you have a small farm and that that piles that on more some of it has to do with um i think the promotion of dairy it doesn't seem it seems like Years ago, dairy got a, a bad reputation of uh, it was not as healthy as it was always believed to. 
because it was high in fat. Now you say our promotion uh, milk is less than four percent fat, uh, but uh, it just seemed like it for some reason it got a negative stigma, and I don't think it ever got out of that. But I I remember being in elementary school. There was a whole big like got milk promotion that was going out, and like milk mustaches, and like it was it was cool to drink milk, and then that all just disappeared. Like I can't pinpoint when it disappeared, but it yeah. just did, and then like recent people in the the public eye like uh, these these health gurus with yeah. these talk show hosts are like oh no like you don't need milk like excuse yeah. me like the whole strong bones and stuff like you, you didn't hear about that when you're going through medical school <laughs> yeah every everybody's got a book or a diet to sell so uh you gotta be a little different so um yeah that's one one thing I think I don't know how you bring that back, but uh, that's and that's, just... and that's a problem that like we face specifically in the dairy industry really 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 hard. But it's also something that kind of hurts agriculture as a whole. Yes, Pe- people don't understand what we do. They don't understand why we do it. But people are very passionate about two things. That is food and animals. So whatever they find on them that they can do their research in 30 seconds and go back to their lives and think that they're making an impact is what they're going to do. So if they see like a social media post about said product is going to harm you, oh no, I'm not going to give this to my kids. Well, that's fine and dandy if it's found on actual research. It's not just a random blog post. Like yeah. I, I remember years ago for an FFA speaking competition, I did a speech on misconceptions in agriculture. And I just Googled genetically modified organisms. And like two of the things that first popped up were actual like sites with legitimate research behind them, which determined that genetically modified organisms were as safe as normal food to eat because you, th- you think about food like how how safe is an oreo to actually eat? like it's not that good for your health Mm-mm. but like genetically modified organisms and foods were as safe as normal foods but like another six of them were just these blog posts that had nothing backed up on them. and that's what gets shared like you see that shared about the dairy industry time and time again it's Social media can be a cruel and brutal force, and I I know you hate social media. So I'm sorry, Doctor Foster. My dad is not a social media fan because of how much just propaganda gets spread at times, or just or even just like the daily stuff. Like you don't like daily updates, but yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I don't. I, I I'm glad <laughs> that you're you are true to yourself. Yep. I don't know how much research you've done on this and forgive me if I cut you off at any point were there any thoughts you wanted to add to that uh the only other thing I was thinking of is uh I know this really bugs you but uh for milk having such uh like we just said a negative stigma um all your um uh, almond milk and soy milk and coconut milk and asparagus milk and all kind of <laughs> is, that a, is that a thing <laughs> Sure, why not? <laughs> we can we can label it that. Yeah, like, why not? Why not? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, hopefully, the legislature does something to uh, uh, 
to label to make it so that they just can't call themselves milk. I yes, I would agree with that. I'm like, I'm a huge advocate for agriculture not fighting agriculture because of the fact that like it seems like the world and the public's out to get us anyway. But I'm a huge fan of being more proactive and providing the public consumer more foundational knowledge to make their consumer decisions. And that's what I feel like this is. Like I feel like there needs to be a rebrand of that where it could be like an almond beverage or something like yeah. that. I know people have thrown around like the term nut juice, but like I like so, something even like just an almond beverage or a coconut beverage. Because it's not necessarily like there's there's I don't know specifically what it is. I think biologically it's milk, but like something else it's not. But it's really not the same exact product as milk. And I agree with you that like people are assuming that it is and just swapping over to it. And it is hurting the American dairy farmer and contributing to the struggle that's happening. And and yeah, I'm sure most of your listeners, I mean, they know the difference between uh, soy milk and our milk. And everything like that, but um, you get into the bigger cities and stuff like that. Uh, they, it, it, you always hear the misconception around here, not not, not misconception, but you know, uh, the, the city people they don't even know where the food or the milk comes from, you know. And so, you start selling that to them as soy milk or almond milk or anything well, like it, that. It's a it, it's a brilliant it, marketing strategy. I, like I, whoever came up with that, I applaud one hundred and ten percent. Yeah, we grow soybeans. Just <laughs> yeah, we 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 do indeed grow soybeans. Like we are not we are not targeting any of these industry individuals. And Teach Ag Talks loves all parts of agriculture and is willing to put anybody who has an interest in agriculture on here to provide perspective for educators. We're just giving you the dairy farmer perspective into what is hurting our industry right now and hurting families all across the country. Circling back to what I almost touched on a a couple minutes ago, I don't know how much research and insight that you've gone into this over the past couple of days, but when we're sitting down recording this interview is a day after the big video scandal came out with Fair Oaks Farms in Indiana. And, like, I was able to tour that, that farm back at National Convention. Obviously, you don't see the whole operation. And the I'm not going to get too political on this because I am not in a position to, to speak for or against Fair Oak Farms, but I do know that the video is kind of alarming, but then there's also a lot of controversy with how that stuff gets off, and there's been fraudulent animal rights postings and videos in the past that have kind of condemned farms and operations because they, at times it feels like they're against us. But it's just circling back to the whole idea that we're really sometimes fighting a social image. And in the video that was posted, uh, the animal rights activists like said, like, you need to stop buying milk. Like, you need to stop buying dairy products. And, like, we're here to tell you that that doesn't just impact big corporations. And it, it affects everyone down the spectrum. And honestly, if you think economically, like, Small operations would be the first to go, wouldn't you think? 
Like, yeah, it, yeah. it would eliminate people like us more so than it would eliminate them. It's just getting rid of their competition for a while, and then this is eventually going to fade out of the public eye, and things are going to get to a point where people would forgot this even existed, and there's just going to be less small-scale dairy operations. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right on that. Um, one thing, uh, I mean, I, I didn't see the video. I, I heard about it a little bit. And uh, some of the stuff, I guess you can't argue with the video. I mean, what what they what, what they showed, but what happened in the video is something that happened, and it happened at Fair Oaks Farm. What what we don't know is that there was somebody that was undercover. We don't the the people that were in the video have been fired since then. We don't know all that. What happened specifically? That's that that is context for you and for the listeners. Okay. What I was going to say is um, uh, when you're running a dairy operation or any any kind of livestock operation, um, you, you're you doing it because you like the animals, for one thing. But the other thing, you're doing it to make money, maybe support yourself, have a livelihood. And uh, if, if your cows, they call it cow comfort. You know, you want them to be in not too hot in the summertime you want them to be able to lay down where they're comfortable not in excess dirt or anything like that um and treated well uh like if we could get this cow set up in the equivalency of a five-star hotel every single night like we're gonna do that yeah well (laughs) in cow in cow terms yeah 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 but the idea that just people farmers are mean to their animals um it it doesn't work that way right. i'm not saying uh, there yep. yep. people don't do that i'm saying it's not you're not helping yourself by doing that so i'm pretty sure um whatever was in the video is the exception to the rule if the other thing is with that video you're talking about large-scale farm and the guy like i'm just talking about making a livelihood right the guy that's making a livelihood he's not the one out there doing that correct like and and the the guy at the top of the food chain like at at fair oaks like said like hey these guys were fired we do not condone these actions this is not how we treat our animals and to, to piggyback off what you said we like when we were in a milking operation like we made sure that we were taking care of our cattle in the best way possible, making sure that they were in sanitary locations, that they were happy, that they were being fed properly, given time outside to graze and walk around. And those operations and individuals who don't treat their cattle well aren't sticking around that long because they're not going to make money. Right. Because So that's going to drive them out. And, like, regulation-wise, like, they're going to get busted sooner rather than later. Yeah. Because, like, everyone that has seen that video is in an outrage over what's in that video. Whether you're in the dairy industry or you're just someone who's concerned for the animals. Like, nobody likes what's in that video. But, that's the thing. Like, nobody condones that. So you shouldn't hit the dairy industry up because they're not supporting that either 
they are going to come down on that with a hammer and wrath and make sure that that does not happen because that does not help the dairy industry at all. It doesn't help us sell our products. It is not good for the animals. Like, that's the bottom line. It's not good for the animals, as we can obviously agree to that. But overall, throughout the spectrum, like, the animals aren't taken care of well. You're not going to make money. And, like, people, please don't stop buying dairy products because of that video. That's basically what I'm coming down to. Because that is not the norm for the dairy industry at all. People care about their animals. In agriculture, people care about their animals. A happy animal is a healthy animal, and a healthy animal is what leads to product and productivity and eventually money for the farmer so they, they continue, can continue feeding your local communities and your country and providing fibers to any operation or store or anything that needs fibers, things like that. That's me getting on my soapbox. I've talked a lot more than I usually do in this podcast just because I, I, I really feel like this is just us sitting back in the computer room just complaining about how we're going to solve the world's problems with our combined intelligence since us, us gables apparently we're... IQ of six combined. Yep, absolutely. Still not sure how I graduated high school. Uh, <laughs> but... We got a little little down in, in this part. What are some solutions that you see? How can we... It, it's going to take a lot, but how can we make things better for American dairy farmers? I, I really don't have any solutions. I can give if, you... I can if give you, you did, you would be a very <laughs> intelligent and well-respected man right now. <laughs> and Secre- I'm not. Secretary, <laughs> Secretary Redding would give you an award... It, it would be fantastic. Yeah, um, I do got some ideas that maybe somebody else could uh, leapfrog off of. Somebody and, with more sway than yeah the, the two of us. Um, I think I think it starts with education of the general public. Mm-hmm. You know, what is milk? Why is milk better for you than other things? Um. Which I've said this like any single time somebody talks to me about like agricultural education and what's something that I wish could be getting back about the educating the public just you know getting that idea that the food doesn't come from a grocery store right and uh, I know I've talked to you about this countless times Thomas but you got the the people that are so-called vegetarians that uh, or maybe animal rights people that nobody should eat meat. That's just wrong. Which which there is nothing wrong with being a vegetarian or a vegan or anything like that. We are just talking from an educational standpoint as to the reasoning or rationale behind that. Yes. Continue. Um, The way the world is situated, there is, I have no idea, but countless acres of ground which cannot be formed, cannot be produce any kind of uh, food for human consumption with the exception of grazing livestock, which can be raised for meat. Um, if you take meat totally out of the equation and and think that, uh, you know, you could just feed the world on, 
on grass, per se. Yeah, on vegetables, it, it doesn't work that way. We don't digest grass. Correct. So, uh, yeah. That's my two cents. <laughs> but it, just to, to retouch on that, like what you're saying is valid. Like there is land that cannot be used for growing produce. That Correct. is being used as grazing pastures. Yeah. Like it, we are productively using that land to have an output of food and energy into the into the supply chain. If you if you completely take that out of the equation, like we're getting off of dairy right now into something right. else. We'll we'll circle back just in a little bit because it does connect to dairy with the educational aspect. But you take that away, yeah, like our human society is not going to have the food that we need to survive. Yeah, you get out there in like Montana and that government land out there, Montana, Wyoming, I believe is where it is. I think if I remember right, they, they say it, it's something like uh, takes maybe 100 acres to like raise one beef cow or something like that. It, and be, uh, being out in Montana just about a month ago, like it's it's amazing as to how much just open rangeland they have. Yeah. Be, for that exact reason. Like we, we were touring around with a lovely individual who's works high up with their agricultural education. Shannon, shout out to you. You're awesome. But she was talking about how they they have to do that because their land is not as productive as the land right. we have here. Like for our dairy operation, we'd have to have like four times the land in order to, to have that amount of cattle. And they have my friend Adam Cole, while we were out there, looked it up and there's about 75 dairy farms in this in the state of Montana. Montana has the same amount of land that Pennsylvania, Ohio, and New York have combined. Can you imagine 75 dairy farms over those three states? Like, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, really. If we keep this up, we're trending that way. But, yeah, my point is that that land is very unproductive. Yet you can get, there's a lot of food, meat that you can get off of that land. That was that was what I was getting at. Like you right. said, there's nothing against vegetarians, vegans, anything like that. But the the one the people that think that that's the only way the whole world should be that way that that's why that wouldn't work. Yeah. Like you you go and do your thing. We're just explaining why it's not like an actual valid thing for every single individual on the world. Before I end any of my podcasts. I like to leave a little bit of time to just ask if there's anything that I didn't ask you that you would like to touch on. Uh, thinking more on the dairy side, but anything you want to leave uh, us with? No, I don't. I don't really. Uh, can't really think of anything. Um, I th- I just thank thank you that we've been able to get together with this. Um, I'd just like to give a shout-out to my good friend Andy. And um, <laughs> if you uh, want to have me back at the end of July to talk about how the Orioles did the trade deadline, I would be glad to do that. Context, Andy is the nickname he's given my girlfriend, Andrea, <laughs> uh, who is obviously the favorite here. And uh, we're big Baltimore Orioles fans, so he was he was talking about whether we could have on this podcast uh, a Orioles talk. So that's his... It's three seconds of, of Orioles conversation <laughs> in this podcast. But thank you, Dad, for coming on. Thank you for 
providing your perspective. Yep. Thank you for having me, Thomas. I cannot express how thankful I am for the lessons I've learned from my dad in the dairy industry over the years. And it is truly heartbreaking to hear the struggles of farmers across Perry County, Pennsylvania, and the nation. For more information on the Pennsylvania dairy industry, be sure to check out the Center for Dairy Excellence's website at centerfordairyexcellence.org. And please, if it suits your fancy, buy some milk at your local grocery store to celebrate National Dairy Month. Dairy farmers will thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Teach Ag Talks with Thomas Gable. Be sure to check out teachagpsu.blogspot.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter for more publications from Teach Ag PSU. For details on this episode, be sure to check out the show notes below. Want to see what else is going on in Pennsylvania agricultural education? If you're not already on the Tuesday TJAG Topics email blast, send us an email at tjag at psu.edu. We'll see you next month.